Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. Well, as that song said, we are going to sit at the table of the Lord and eat spiritual food from His Holy Word. Sometimes you sit down and you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and some yogurt, and sometimes you have a T-bone steak. And uh, today is T-bone steak for spiritual lunch. And so I, I hope and pray that you'll hang on through this text of Scripture. If you're visiting with us today, I want, want to let you know that this is not a typical sermon, but we are going to dive in the depths of Scripture. We're going to go deep sea diving to find some truths. So you're going to have to hold your breath for a while. We'll come back up. But I pray that you will stay with us this morning as we go into a very special text of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 14. There's something about building that many people enjoy, especially little boys as they sit with blocks or Legos they love to build. Sometimes the big boys like to do that as well, right? Or you might be driving by a house or maybe an apartment complex and you enjoy seeing the progress of that building. Or some of you might actually build for a living. Maybe you build rockets or houses or machines or whatever it is. No matter what the job is, you probably have some kind of tools that you use to help you complete that building project. But there are a set of tools or a set of tools that all builders use. There's a set of tools that every builder must use in order to have whatever he wants built be built. What is that set of tools you think I'm referring to? Well, there's two of them right up here. It's your hands. I would say these are probably the most important tools that God has given to you. Every project that builds something uses hands to do so. Humans accomplish their work with their hands. What about God? How does God accomplish his work. What's the primary tool God uses to do his work? What is it? It's the word of God, right? It's God's word. It's his holy word. Everywhere we go, we can observe the handiwork of God. We can observe his handiwork in creation. Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, we understand that, understand that the universe was formed by the word of God. As we look at nature, we look at the laws of nature, we consider that everything is being sustained and upheld by the Lord. Hebrews 1.3 says it's all upheld by the word of his power, by the word of God. God saves, God keeps, God sustains us spiritually by his word. James 1.21, the implanted word of God is able to save your soul. So God saves by his word. God matures the church. He builds the church by the word of God. First Peter 2, 2, that we are to desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. God builds his church with his word. That's what Paul is speaking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 
1 Corinthians 14 is about God building the church. And what we are going to see today is that God builds his church through the proclamation of his word. In fact, look with me at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14 and notice how he summarizes the last two chapters and then speaks about the ministry of the word. Verse 1, pursue love. And remember, what chapter was that? Chapter 13. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And that was chapter 12. And now chapter 14. Especially that you may prophesy. When you hear the word prophesy or prophecy, think about God's word being proclaimed. Paul was directing the church here to desire the ministry of the word, to desire the ability to prophesy, to proclaim God's word, but also the desire to have that happen to you so that you can be built up in the Lord. And so what you see in this text is that Paul is saying, I want you, God wants you to desire the ministry of the word. And before we get into this, let me ask you this question. What do you desire more than anything else? If I were to give you a million dollars, would you want that? Would you desire that? All you spiritual people, no. Come on. If I were to offer you a delicious dessert, maybe lemon bars, or this past week we went to a a little fair and we saw strawberry rhubarb pie, homemade, hot, steaming, you know, it was... I was just picturing some vanilla ice cream. And would you desire that? That sugary dessert? Well, in Psalm 19.10, David says that we are to desire God's word more than gold and more than honey or strawberry rhubarb pie. And so do you desire God's word? And that's what Paul is directing us to. He's saying, church, we must desire the word of God. And Paul gives us guiding principles to help us build up one another in love. So this is for the gathered church in 1 Corinthians 14. And last week we went through the first two principles found in this text. The first principle was the principle of passion. And that is that we must zealously, passionately use our gifts to build up one another. We found that in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 here, and also 1 Corinthians 14, 12, where we are told to earnestly desire to use our spiritual gifts to build up other people. The second principle we found was the principle of purpose, and that is that a local church gathers like this for the purpose of being built up and to build other people up. Why are you here today? Why'd you show up? Hopefully it's for this reason right here. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is saying. We are gathered here today to build each other up. And that's why seven times in chapter 14, we find the the word, the Greek word for building up, or your translation might have edify. Because over and over, the Lord wants us to gather to build each other up. And what we're going to find out today is that God's means to build up his church, to encourage us, to comfort us, to edify us, is the word of God, is the proclamation of God's word. 
And so the third principle here is the principle of proclamation. A local church must prioritize the proclamation of the word to build up the church. I'm going to warn you, I'm going to give a long introduction. We're going to talk about what prophecy is, and then we're going to dive into this text of scripture this morning. Before we do this, I want us to think, though, about this church in Corinth. I want you to imagine, if you could, imagine yourself sitting in this church. Maybe it was a a large atrium area or courtyard around somebody's house, and that's probably typically how the church would have gathered back then. And they would have gathered in an area where they could all be together, Jews and Gentiles, many ethnic backgrounds, all one under the lordship of Christ. Paul the apostle would have stood before them. He would have preached the Old Testament scriptures, and he would have authoritatively preached scriptures like Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. He would have explained that. But I want you to think about something else, that Paul didn't just preach the Old Testament. Paul revealed new truth to them. Paul revealed to them not just what Isaiah 53 talked about and prophesied, that there would be one 700 years later to come who would be the Messiah, who would be the suffering servant, who would bear our sins on the cross. But he also talked about who this one was. His name was Jesus Christ. And so what Paul did, he actually revealed Jesus. And he didn't say, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24 or whatever it is. He spoke new revelation to them. So Paul spoke authoritatively his, his words were authoritative, just like the Old Testament is authoritative. And Paul said he could do this because Jesus Christ himself revealed to him these truths, these doctrines. Galatians 1.12 says, Paul says, I did not receive it, that is the gospel, that is this, these new revelations about Christ from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul received direct revelation from Christ, and then he taught that to the church. And so what we have here in our New Testament documents is we have the teachings of the apostles. And so Paul would have taught the truth, and much of that was written down in the letters that he sent out and that we have still recorded to this day. So as you imagine Paul preaching, I want you to imagine that he's actually not just saying, look at this verse, and this is the context. Paul's saying, I have talked to Jesus, and he's told me directly what he wants you to know. And so Paul was saying, like, there's a person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit. He permanently indwells you. Let's talk for an hour about that. And yes, there are some references in the Old Testament, but much of what I'm going to tell you is new revelation that Christ taught when he was on earth and that Christ has taught me and I am passing along to you. And the point is, I want you to get really get this morning, is that they were not opening their Bibles to the Old and New Testament and searching through. They didn't have the New Testament. Think about when The timing of Paul coming to Corinth was he would have come in 51 AD. So put your timeline in your brain there. 51 AD was about 20 years after Christ's resurrection and ascension. And so at this point, no New Testament letters have been written except for James and probably the book, uh, the letter to the Galatians. 
So the letter of James, who was a pastor in Jerusalem, and Paul probably wrote the letter to the Galatians before this. But other than that, there's no gospel of Luke and gospel of Matthew. There's no letter to the Romans. There's no 1 Corinthians, obviously. He's, he started the church before he wrote the letter to the Corinthians. So think about it that way. Like, they don't have these New Testament documents that we have today. In fact, from this point in 51 AD, over the next 40 years, the Holy Spirit would compose through gifted men, men gifted by the Holy Spirit, the New Testament. And so it took 40 years to give the church the complete revelation of what we call the New Testament. And so what I want you to see here is what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 14 is something that's unique for this church at this time because they didn't have the full revelation of Scripture like we have here today. And so why is this all important? Well, we must read this in the context of the church that Paul was writing to. You see, for this church, they were to proclaim God's word. Well, how did they proclaim God's word? Well, number one, they had apostles like Paul come through. And when Paul taught, he was proclaiming God's word. He was proclaiming the Old Testament and he was giving new revelation. And so first, actually, I should say first, their primary source of truth was the Old Testament. Second was the apostles. And then third was the gift of prophets and some in the church with the gift of prophecy. So you had the Old Testament, you had the apostles, and really the apostles' teaching was on par. It was scripture, if you could say it that way. It was on par with the Old Testament. And then you also had prophets who spoke God's word and some who were gifted with the gift to be able to speak God's word. So that is how the Corinthian church received the word. That is how they communicated the word. And as we go into this, we need to remember that 2 Peter 119, Peter says that we have a more certain word of prophecy. Like when we read through the New Testament, it's more certain than even what they were receiving in the first Corinthians, in the Corinthian church there. Okay. So we don't look at this and say, oh, I wish we were like them. They would long to be like us, to be able to just open your Bible and be able to look at a New Testament and, and read the story of Jesus. Can you imagine that? And so God has given us a more certain word with the completion of the Old and New Testament, but that was not the case for this church. So it's with that in mind that we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look at number verse 1, at the very end of verse 1, he says, especially that you may prophesy. And then throughout this chapter, he talks about why the gift of prophecy is to be desired more than the gift of tongues. And the reason is because the gift of tongues can't be understood. Remember, the gift of tongues was a foreign language, not understood by the speaker. Of course, if you spoke that language, you understood it if you were in the audience. But it could only be understood if it was interpreted. But the gift of prophecy was speaking God's word. And it was to be clear. And it was to edify people. So what is the gift of prophecy? Well, prophecy is receiving and relaying the word of God. Last week, last week, I said revelation. It was too many R's, okay? So I went with receiving and relaying the word of God instead of revelation. But you could keep that if you want to. Prophecy is receiving and relaying the word of God. Literally, the word prophecy or to prophesy means to speak forth. 
And so many times we think about it as foretelling. In other words, someone seeing into the future and saying what's going to happen. And it does include that. But actually, prophecy is not primarily that. It's primarily speaking forth what God says. It's receiving and relaying the word of God. And in the New Testament church, prophets prophesied and church members exercised the gift of prophecy to communicate God's word. I have a nifty little chart on the screen here that hopefully will help you contrast between what is the gift of, or what is the office of a prophet and what is the gift of prophecy? Because they actually are distinct things. There's the office of the prophet and then there's the gift of prophecy. And so I want to just walk through this with you to demonstrate this to you so you can see that there's a distinction and how it was distinguished in the Old and New Testament and how we see God revealing his word to us today. The office of prophet was a position appointed by God. It was lifelong. So you can see that on the left-hand side up there, the office of prophet was a lifelong office. In fact, go over to uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Go over two chapters. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28. Notice the office here in verse 28. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles and second, what is it? Prophets, that's right. So notice here, these are prophets. This is, a, this is an office. And notice the next verse, verse 29, he asks a rhetorical question. Are all apostles? And the answer, since it's a rhetorical question, is no. Okay. Are all prophets? What's the answer? No. Why is that? Because God appointed a few, a few apostles, a few prophets, and they were qualified people who held those positions. On the other hand, the gift of prophecy was a spiritual gift for members of the church. So you can notice on the screen up there, the gift of prophecy, first bullet point. It was a gift, a spiritual gift for a particular moment, a particular time in the church Service. In fact, go to 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 10. You can see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but notice in the middle of verse 10, to another prophecy, so this is a gift that God has given to members that is the ability to have prophecy or prophesy, and to another the ability to discern spirits. Remember, both those go together. One person speaks God's word, and the other person verifies that what he's speaking is true. And in fact, go over to 1 Corinthians 14, 31. I want to show you this as well, because though there was only a few people who held the office of prophet, if you look in 1 Corinthians 14, 31, many, in fact, he says, all people can prophesy. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 31. For you can all prophesy one by one, do it in an orderly way, so that all may learn and be encouraged. So the office of prophet was held by a few. The gift of prophecy was able to be exercised by many in the church, according to verse 31. In fact, just to keep demonstrating this to you, go to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 is where we first saw this come up, the gift of prophecy. And we talked about this in the context of head coverings. 1 Corinthians 14, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4. 
So chapter 11, verse 4, every man who prays, and remember prayer is speaking to God, or prophesies, and prophecy is speaking for God. So every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonors his head, and every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. And if you want to know what that means about the head covering thing, go back and listen to those sermons. But the point there is what you see is you see multiple people in the church, men and women, who are somehow declaring God's word through prophecy. And so a prophet, he directly received revelation from God and he relayed that. Sometimes he, he wrote that down. Sometimes he would preach or speak that or teach that. And we saw that with Paul and we saw that with, we see that with other apostles and prophets in the New Testament. The gift of prophecy, though, could be direct revelation from God. It's possible that was the case. Also, it's possible it could be repeated revelation. Someone taking a psalm or someone hearing what Paul said or taking one of Paul's letters and reading that to the church and then giving insight in on that. So the gift of prophecy, as you see on the screen up there, could be relayed through singing, through teaching, through speaking, through even a testimony about what God has taught you and his word has meant to you, reading. So, okay, hopefully your eyes haven't glazed over. Are you awake still? Okay, stay with me here. The last part I want you to see here is that the office of a New Testament prophet was different in that the nature of the gift of prophecy was for a person during the worship service to speak God's word. And for a prophet, everything he said that was in the name of God, it had to be true. In fact, according to, you can see it really small up there, Deuteronomy 18, that gives the litmus test for prophets. And if they ever say something that's not true in the name of God, they're a false prophet. In fact, that text of scripture in the Old Testament time, that meant that they should be stoned to death. Okay, so that's how um, you determine a false prophet is they say something that's not true. But for the gift of prophecy, you had individuals who were in there And they tested what someone said with God's word. And so I'm going to show you this verse right here. This hopefully will help you as you read through the New Testament and you see these words. And you go, what is this talking about? Notice 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, the apostle John says, do not believe every spirit. What's he talking about? Every spirit. Well, when someone speaks and prophesies, don't believe everything you hear. That's ignorance. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So you have these people who are coming by, claiming to be prophets. They spoke a word from the Lord. Don't believe it just because you hear it. Test it. Well, how do you test it? Well, that's what he tells you in the rest of that chapter. He says, see their doctrine. And particularly the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Or how about this one? 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to that which is good. And so the point of this is this. I want to show you the distinguishing marks of the office of a prophet and the gift of prophecy. And now what I want to do is I want to just take you through a couple passages and demonstrate this taking place in the Old Testament, Testament, but also the New Testament. So would you go back to Numbers chapter 12? Very beginning of your Bible, go to Numbers chapter 12. This is a lot like a 
a Bible lesson. That's why I said we're diving deep here and we're going pretty low. So keep holding your breath. Numbers chapter 12. So I want to show you that you have prophets in the Old Testament. That's the office of prophet. And you have those who spoke prophecy, but they did not hold the office of prophet. One of the greatest prophets, the greatest really prophet Israel had besides Jesus is Moses. Moses was the great prophet found in the Old Testament. In Numbers 12, Aaron and Miriam were envious because God spoke to and through Moses. And so they complained against Moses. Look at verse number two, Numbers 12, Numbers 12, two. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. So they're complaining. Now I want you to think about this because you'll have people, you might hear people that use this text and they use it like this. Don't ever speak against God's prophet. So a pastor might use that. And I've heard pastors actually use that to abuse people. To basically say, do whatever I say because I'm the prophet. That's not what's going on here. He's actually saying, what you're going to see here is God says, are you going against my word? I'm speaking my word through the prophet Moses. And so that's what we're seeing here is God is actually upset because they're speaking against his prophet, but his prophet speaks God's word. And so notice verse number four. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. Can you imagine God wanting to meet with three of you? That would, uh, should cause you to fear. Look at verse five. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, this is God speaking. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so Moses was able to receive direct revelation from Yahweh God. And he was able to communicate that to God's people. And how did he do that? Well, he wrote some of it down. It's the first five books of the Bible, right? Right there, the books of Moses. He taught, he preached that. But now go back to Numbers chapter 11. So go one chapter back. Because in, Roman, in, in Numbers 12, we see the office of prophet that Moses held that office. But in Numbers 11, we see people prophesying, but they're not prophets. Numbers 11, verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. That's Moses. And took some of the spirit. So notice this is the Holy Spirit upon Moses that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they, what did they do? They prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. And so God's spirit temporarily gave them the gift to be able to communicate God's word. What did they say? What did they do? What did it look like? 
We don't know. But we know that they were able to speak for God in some way at that moment. It was a gift, you could say, of prophecy, but they were not prophets. I don't have time to go through all the texts I wrote down, but I'll direct your attention to 1 Samuel chapter 3. There you see in 1 Samuel 3, verse 20, Samuel was a prophet. God spoke directly to him. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, you could see that Saul was not a prophet. King Saul was not a prophet, but God gave him the temporary ability at a point in time to be able to prophesy. The Holy Spirit came upon him. He was able to speak God's word, but Saul did not do that the rest of his life. And then go with me to 1 Chronicles 25. 1 Chronicles, not Corinthians, this is still Old Testament. 1 Chronicles 25. I want to show you also prophecy included ministry in the temple and particularly what we see in verse 20, or chapter 25 of 1 Chronicles are those who were leading the worship in the temple were ones who were said to prophesy. So look at 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1. David and the chiefs of the, ser- uh, the, chiefs of the service also set apart for the service the sons of Asaph and of Heman, by the way, that was my favorite name in the Bible when I was growing up in the 80s. Half of you don't get that joke. but And, and of Jeduthun, who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. So notice they prophesied with music. Verse 2 says the same thing of Asaph. Verse 3, notice the end of verse 3. They prophesied with the lyre in thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. So what was the nature of their prophecy? Well, I don't think they were receiving new revelation from God. They were communicating God's word through song and leading the congregation of Israel in that as well. And these weren't prophets. They were just ministers of song in the temple. Go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Acts 11, we see the apostles. We see the New Testament prophets. The apostles were also prophets. That's Matthew chapter 10. That you, if you want to write that one down for that, Matthew 10, 40 through 41, Jesus calls his apostles prophets. So the apostles were prophets, but the prophets weren't necessarily apostles. Does that make sense? So apostles and prophets, they had the same office, but prophets did not have the office of, of apostle. So look at Acts chapter 11. I want you to see these different offices. You have apostle, you have prophets, you have pastor, teacher, elders, pastors, you have the congregation. So look at chapter 11 of Acts, verse 27. Now in these days, what's the next word? Prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So you had prophets in the New Testament church. And notice one of them was named Agabus, verse 28. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a famine, a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So there was a famine going on in the church of Jerusalem or in Jerusalem. It was affecting that church there. And so this guy prophesied so that the church could be edified through the giving of gifts. 
So go to Acts chapter 15. So you saw a prophet, you saw a certain prophet, prophet Agabus. Go to Acts 15, because in Acts 15, we see this council is meeting in Jerusalem. They've been blessed by this gift from the church of Antioch. Acts 15, there's a council that has different offices, different people sitting on this council. And we're going to see there's apostles. We're going to see there's prophets. We're going to see there's pastors. We're going to see even around there, there are church members. So look at verse 22. Verse 22. So Acts 15, 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles. So that's the first office. And the elders, that's the office that I hold, pastor, teacher, elder, with the whole church. And I contend that's another office as well, the office of church member. And notice where the office of prophet is. To choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas and Barsabbas and Silas, I'm sorry, called, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. So who were Judas and Silas? Well, go down to verse 32 and notice verse 32. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves what? What were they? Prophets encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. So you notice in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, I should say, the the record of the beginning of the church, you have these prophets. Look at Acts chapter 21. Go to Acts 21. This is the last chapter in Acts we'll look at here this morning. Acts 21, we find four ladies who prophesied. And then we find the prophet Agabus again. Notice verse 9, Acts 21, 9. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, does it call him prophets? Or are those ladies prophets or prophetesses? doesn't say that. It said they prophesied. But then notice verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So my point is, I just want to show you that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you had individuals who were prophets, and then you had people who had the gift of prophecy. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. This is the last book of the Bible we'll go to until we go back to 1 Corinthians. And again, I told you this is a long introduction, but don't worry, the rest of the sermon is very short. (laughs) Ephesians 2 speaks about these two offices that built the foundation of the church. Look at Ephesians 2.20. We saw this last week, so I'm not going to go in depth on this. Ephesians 2.20, the church in Ephesians 2.20 was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So the office of apostle and prophet were the two offices used to build the foundation of the church. Now go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4. Because the question is, what was the nature of the ministry of the apostles and prophets? What was the nature of their ministry that built the foundation of Christ that the church is upon? It wasn't just going out with the gospel. We do that. It was something more than that. Actually, it was giving the revelation of the New Testament. The New Testament apostles, the New Testament prophets were wrote down and communicated through, through the scripture, but also through Verbal, um, verbally, the revelation of God's word. And so notice Ephesians 3. We're just going to look at the very end of verse 4. 
the mystery of Christ, verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So notice there was a time, the Old Testament, there was something that was not revealed, but now it is revealed. And who was it that revealed it? Who revealed the revelation of the New Testament, the revelation of the gospel? It was the holy prophets and our holy apostles and prophets, and they did it by the Spirit. Verse 6, what was it that was revealed? This mystery that is the gent that is the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now let's all come up for breath here, okay? Because what is this talking about? What this is saying is that the apostles and the prophets were the ones who told us the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's the promise that we can have our sins forgiven. It's the promise that though we are dead in our trespasses and sins, though we are born to this world without spiritual life, though we have sinned against God, we deserve to be condemned. God promises that he can save us. If we confess that we're sinners, if we turn from our sin and we trust that Jesus is the only Lord and the only Savior. That song we sang called, uh, What a Friend for Sinner. Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. I read the story on that and it was written by an evangelist who went around and he preached the gospel. And he loved to see people come to Christ. And as he met individuals from all different parts of life and different areas different sins they struggled with. He wrote that song to minister to them to say that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And so friend, if you're in here today, I want you to know that I'm a sinner and you're a sinner and Jesus is a friend of sinners and his friendship is this. He gave his life for us on the cross and he resurrected. He was resurrected. He's in heaven and he wants to save you. That's the mystery that is now revealed. That's the promise that God gives to us. He can save you if you believe in him. And then last, let's go to Ephesians 4. I want to show you again these offices of the church. Ephesians 4, verse 11. He, that's Jesus, gave, this is a gift he's given to the church, the apostles and the prophets. I want you to note that these two offices are not in existence today. They're in existence in that they gave us the New Testament, so we're blessed by that still, but we don't see prophets and apostles walking around today. Then we have two other offices, evangelists. We actually have an evangelist with us today, Jeremy Frazier right down here. And so Jeremy goes around the country. He lives in that thing out there. Some of you weren't here when Jeremy came last year but he lives in that uh, RV out there and they go around and they give the gospel and preach in churches and help church plants. And so he lives by faith. So it's a little side note. If you want to help the gospel today, go give him some help because when he's not preaching, he's not getting paid, okay? And uh, even when he's preaching, sometimes he doesn't get paid. <laughs> but, um, but evangelist right there. The next one you have are the shepherd teachers. Those are elders. That's myself. That's Ken. That's Norm. That's Justin. And then notice verse 12, to equip the saints, that's you, that's the church, those are church members. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So all of that background to help us to understand this, and that is that God wanted this church 
to desire the ministry of the word. And for them, one of the primary ways that they enjoyed the ministry of the word was through prophecy. A prophet coming through and him declaring God's word. And Paul was one of those. He was an apostle and prophet. And then other people in the church being empowered by the spirit to stand up and being able to communicate God's word in one way or another. So I'm just going to read through these 12 verses And then we're going to conclude here this morning. As we go through it, I want you to notice that Paul wants the church to desire the ministry of God's word. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, that you may declare God's word. Verse 2. For the one who speaks in a tongue, remember that's a foreign language the speaker does not know and that no one else will know unless they speak that language. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. And just just think back to Acts 2, when those men were speaking in tongues, they were saying other languages, and they were praising God. So that's what he's talking about right there. And the only ones who understood those languages were the ones who spoke that language. So his argument's going to be here. Don't speak in tongues in the church because it doesn't edify people unless someone were to interpret. Otherwise, it doesn't edify. So don't do that in the church. Verse number three. On the other hand, the one who prophesies, in other words, speaks God's word, speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So his argument here is that God's word builds you up. Let me ask you this question. When you feel down, when you need encouragement, where do you go? You flick on the Amazon Prime or Netflix or a movie or call your friend up. Well, this text here is telling us that go to God's word. Paul is saying here, when you need comfort, when you need to be encouraged, when you need consolation, God's word speaks to us and does that for us. That's how God works in our life. So verse number four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. That is to say that, Someone with the ability to speak in that, that language, unknown language, it might make him feel good because he's ministering, but if no one understands him, it doesn't really matter what he says, right? But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater, or I should say, you could say it like this, there's more value in what he's doing than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And then he gives four questions here to demonstrate why the proclamation of God's word is superior. Verse six, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Notice those four words right there all relate to God's word. Revelation, knowledge, knowledge of God's word, prophecy, and teaching. And so what he's saying here, he's saying God's word is what builds up. And I want you to think about this because there are churches out there where people are running around and they're saying, you know, all this gibberish and stuff. And actually the 1 Corinthians 14 is saying, don't do that. Not only because that's not really speaking in tongues, but also because it doesn't edify the church. And so for a church to do that, even if they think that's speaking in tongues, if no one's interpreting, then they're disobeying God's word. And so that's interesting to think about that. But notice the Principle of proclamation, verse number seven. Even if lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, 
how will anyone know what is played? You know, if I go over to the piano and bang on the piano, and you don't, you know, just, it's dissonant. You can't really understand what I'm doing. It's not going to minister to you. And that's what he's saying here. In fact, the next question relates to that as well. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for the battle? So in war, you might have bugles or trumpets, and they sound certain notes and certain maybe um, certain signals through their instruments. And those sounds would communicate what they were supposed to do. But if someone just blared on the bugle, that would confuse people, right? In other words, the music has to mean something in order for it to communicate something. And that's what he's saying about God's word. Prophecy communicates God's word, and that edifies. Just to have a bunch of, you know, beautiful music, or even just to, uh, to have someone running around, you know, in gibberish or whatever, that doesn't bless anybody. And so he's saying what we have to do is make sure everything we're doing brings edification, and God's word does that. Verse 9 So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. Every language has a meaning. Verse 11, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And so his conclusion here is this. Prophesy, desire prophecy. That is, desire the proclamation of the word because that's what God uses to build up the church. And if I lost you along the way, let me just conclude with this. God's work in your life and in this church is through the ministry of his word. And God wants you to earnestly desire that above everything else. That should be your greatest desire is to hear from God in God's word. A number of years ago, I damaged my thumb when I was working on a construction site. And I was not able to work for a number of weeks. I had a truck full of tools. I had the know-how in my mind, but my hands were damaged. My hand was damaged, and therefore, I couldn't work. You see, we work with our hands. And friends, God works with his word. And just like if you're a, a builder, a worker, you should care for your hands, we should care for the hands of God, his word. We should love God's word. We should cherish God's word. We should read it. So let me ask you that question. Do you love God's word? Do you love the word of God? Do you love to sing his word? Do you love to hear the preaching of his word? Do you love to sit under the teaching of his word? Do you love it when the word rebukes you? Do you love it when the word encourages you? Do you love to share the word of God with other people? May God give us grace to earnestly desire his word. May we read it, memorize it, meditate on it, talk about it, pray over it. May we be built up with the word of God. Let's pray.